Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn together to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. We're in the book of Proverbs, seeing God's wisdom applied to practical, vital areas of life. And today we're going to learn how to be wise with your wealth. What a practical, vital area of life. How to be wise with your money. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7 is going to get us going, but boy, we're going to be all over Proverbs this morning, so keep your Bibles open. But Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, two things I asked of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Dave Ramsey uh, tells folks, don't take financial advice from broke people. <laughs> That's probably good advice, isn't it? Don't take financial, people, uh, financial advice from people who have no money. Well, how would you like to sit down with a man who is internationally renowned for his wealth and his wisdom? A man who is sought out uh, by world leaders to seek his wisdom and his counsel, his advice on government and finances and life. A man who is given a supernatural endowment of wisdom into matters of life. Wouldn't you like to sit down with that man? Have him sit across the table with you and say, let me talk to you a little bit about life and money. Well, the good news is that that man is with us this morning. His name is King Solomon. And he's going to help us be wise with money. How to be wise with money. So that's our text. We need to be wise with our money. Money is a vital part of our lives. If we're honest about it, it affects every aspect of our lives. I mean, you can't get away from it. It affects our marriages. It affects our homes, our children, our families. It affects business, obviously. It affects the church. It affects the, the government, society. Uh, it, it touches every area of life. So what a, what a vital part of life. Well, we need some wisdom in dealing with with money. So the Bible's going to help us with that this morning. If you have your bulletin, there's that listening guide on the back panel. So let's start. And uh, the first thing we need to see, if we're going to have, if we're going to be wise with money, we need to see it right. Remember, we define wisdom as seeing life from God's perspective and living life in God's will. That's wisdom. Well, wisdom applied to money would mean seeing money from God's perspective and handling money in accordance with God's will. So if we're going to be wise about this, we need to see money the way God sees money. We need to see it from God's perspective. And part of that would be understanding its limitations. So let's notice several things about money. Number one, money cannot make you happy. Money cannot make you happy. Again, here in our text, in, in Proverbs 30, this is interesting. This is the only prayer... In the whole book of Proverbs. Now there's a lot of advice in Proverbs, but this is the only prayer. Lord, I ask you two things. Keep lies and deception far from me. And Lord, don't let me be broke and don't let me be rich. <laughs> Give me neither poverty nor riches. Why? Because I'm afraid of what my money might do to my relationship with you. Now, I'm going to try real hard to limit myself to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs this morning, because we got enough to deal with right here. But the Bible's got a lot to say about money. You can't get away from it, because it's such an important part of our lives. So, I mean, there's a lot more that the Bible has to say about this. But understand that your relationship with money affects your relationship with God. You, you can't separate them. 
You can't separate them. In fact, our relationship with money is in direct competition with our relationship with God. You can't love God and money. That's what Jesus said. So it's one or the other. You love God or you love money. You, you pick which one. So here Solomon says, Lord, I, I ask you, give me neither poverty nor riches. If I'm wealthy, I might trust my money and love my money and forget you. So don't, don't put me in that temptation, that situation. Lord, I don't want to be broke because I might be tempted to steal and profane your name. So help me to live within my means with what you provide for me. What a good prayer. Money cannot buy happiness. It cannot make you happy. Now, we all know that, or we think we know that. And when we're in church, we say, amen, that's right, preacher. Money can't buy you, and money can't make you happy. You know. But if we're honest with ourselves, we live on that operating principle. More money means more happiness. Less money means less happiness. I mean, that's the operating principle that's kind of lubricating the machine, isn't it? I'll just, let me just ask you. Do you think you'd be happier or less happy on half your income? Ooh. Oh, that'd be hard. I don't know if I'd be as happy as I am. Or would you be happier if your income suddenly doubled? I think I probably might be a little happier about that. Yeah, I think I would. See there, there's that, there's that assumption. More money equals more happiness. Less money equals less happiness. But God's perspective is your happiness, your joy doesn't depend on money. That's not, money cannot make you happy. Um, Ecclesiastes 5.10, again, our, our wise Solomon. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. If you love it, you'll never have enough. He who loves abundance will not be satisfied with its income. When you love money, you'll never be enough. John D. Rockefeller was the Bill Gates of his day, one of the wealthiest men in the world, fabulously, fabulously wealthy, just unbelievably wealthy. And someone asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? How, how much money would it take to satisfy? How, how much money is enough? And John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in the world, said, a little bit more, a little bit more. That's, that's what Solomon told us 3,000 years ago. When you love money, it's never enough. You always want just a little bit more. Benjamin Franklin said this, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes, it makes one. If it satisfies one want, it doubles and triples that want another way. So money cannot satisfy. It will not make you happy. It will not satisfy the longings that God has put within you. Here's the second limitation about money. Money cannot be trusted. Money cannot be trusted. All right, let's take a look. Go to Proverbs 11. Again, keep your Proverbs open. But 11.28. Proverbs 11.28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. He who trusts in his riches will fall. And then Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18 and verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. In other words, it's a false sense of security. You trust in your money you're going to fall. It's a high wall. It's, it's a safe place in your own mind. If I have enough money in reserves, if I have enough of my ready-day fund, if I have enough set aside for, 
for emergencies. If I have enough in my investments, then I can rest easy. I don't have to worry about the future. We can handle whatever comes. And the Bible warns against the deceitfulness of, uh, the deceitfulness of riches. Oh, be careful. Money can't be trusted. You know, overnight, that money can be gone. Just read world history. Overnight, that money could be gone. That bank that you trust in could be closed tomorrow. I mean, just that quick, it all hangs by a thread. Money cannot be trusted. And then money cannot be kept. Money cannot be kept. Let's go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, 24. Excuse me, 23, verse 4. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. You don't have to do this right now, but later on, pull out a dollar bill. On the back of that dollar bill is an eagle. <laughs> that eagle has wings. You know, they even put it on our money. That money's going to fly away. It sprouts wings and flies away. It just it can't be kept. You know, they say time flies. Well, have you ever watched money? <laughs> money flies, too. It just flies away. You know, they say money talks. Yeah, it says bye. <laughs> you know, money, it can't be kept. It just flies, it flies away. Again, John D. Rockefeller, the Bill Gates of his day, he died. And someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave? And the accountant said, all of it. Money cannot be kept. You can't keep it. You can't take it with you. And then money does not make you better. It doesn't make you better than other people. It doesn't make you wiser than other people. Take a look at Proverbs 18, verse 23. 18:23. The poor man utters supplications, but the rich man answers roughly. The poor man is meek and mild. He asks, begs. He's polite, makes supplications, so the rich man answers roughly. In other words, he's, he's rude and crude and obnoxious. Over in chapter 28, Proverbs 28, verse 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. The rich man is wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 22 and verse 2. Proverbs 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, not all rich people are rude and crude and, and conceited and condescending. Not, not all are like that. But enough are that it's a thing. <laughs> and here we are 3,000 years ago, Solomon is saying, don't think that money makes you wiser than everyone else. Don't think money makes you better than everyone else. But that's, that was... That's the impact of money 3,000 years ago. A thousand years later, Paul would write to Timothy about the church. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this, Instruct those who are rich. Talking about folks in the church now. Instruct those in the church who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So 2,000 years ago, Paul is telling the folks in the church, If you got money, don't, don't be conceited about it. Don't think it makes you better than others. Don't think it makes you wiser than others. Just because somebody's got a lot of money doesn't make them an expert on all kinds of subject matter. No, nope. doesn't make you better. Be careful. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you wiser. The rich man and the poor man have the same maker. Here's another limitation of money. Money cannot buy salvation. Money cannot buy salvation. Go to Proverbs 11. 
Proverbs 11 and verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from, from death. Right, uh, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Money, having money, might buy you some special status in some circles. If you have enough money, you might be able to join that club or be a part of that organization. If you have enough money, you might be invited to sit on this board or that board. But money does not buy any status, not one iota of status with God. And wealth is worthless on the day of wrath. Money cannot buy what man needs most, and that is righteousness. A right relationship with God, the forgiveness of sin, eternal life. Money cannot buy one moment of eternity. One moment with God in eternity. Money cannot buy salvation. You're redeemed, not with money, not with riches, not with gold and silver and things like this. You're redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. Only Jesus Christ can forgive your sin and save your soul and bring you into a right relationship with God. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much money you don't have, you must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The rich man and the poor man have the same maker. We just read that in Proverbs 22. We have a common bond. The rich man and the poor man, they have the same maker. We could also add they have the same judge. And they also have the same Savior, Jesus Christ. So money cannot buy salvation. Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath, the day of judgment. Money can buy anything but happiness, and it can take you anywhere but heaven. <laughs> we have to see it right. See money from God's perspective. Well, not only do we need to see it right, we need to handle it right. Oh, or, uh, we need to get it right. Let's start there. I got ahead of myself. We need to get it right. So see it right and get it right. And Solomon is going to tell us a little bit about that as well. First of all, we need to work for it. Work for money. In Proverbs chapter 6, join, join me there. In Proverbs 6, and let's start with verse 6. Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. That's, that's the one who doesn't want to work, the lazy man. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Move over to chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Just listen to some of these other ones. I put them on your outline, but Proverbs 12, 11. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread. He who pursues worthless things lacks sense. Just chasing worthless daydreams or schemes, silly things. Proverbs 20. Do not love sleep or you'll become poor. Open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with food. In other words, get out of bed. <laughs> get up and go to work. In Proverbs 28. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows the empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. The book of Proverbs really has no tolerance for the lazy person, the sluggard, the one who doesn't want to work, doesn't want to get out of bed, just wants to fritter away his time. The book of Proverbs really has no tolerance for that. He is one version of a fool. He is a, a fool. So 
Work. We are to work. Work is a good thing. God created us for work. He created us to work. In the Garden of Eden, before there was sin, Adam had work to do. He was to, he was to tend to the garden. So we're to earn our money. Work for it. And then we're to earn it honestly or get it honestly. Work for it and get it honestly. Well, there's a lot of verses on this one as well, a lot of Proverbs. Proverbs 10.2, for example, Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Ill-gotten gains do not profit. Um, chapter 13 and verse 11. 13.11, Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Chapter 15 and verse 27. 15.27, He who profits illicitly troubles his own house. He who hates bribes will live. Just listen to some of these others. In Proverbs 20, differing weights. I mean, this is how, you, how a merchant would weigh out this, this product and buy and sell and trade. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. In Proverbs 11, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. In chapter 16, a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. You know, can't say, well, business is business and God is God. No, all the weights of the bag are his concern. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. Again, Proverbs 15, 27, he who profits illicitly troubles his own house. The wise man is honest in his business dealings. The wise man is honest in his business dealings. You don't cheat, don't defraud people. Honest business practices, just honest business. The one who, Ill, who profits illicitly troubles his own house. Haven't you seen that? Here's someone who gambles. I've never known anyone who got rich gambling, but I've seen people trouble their homes with gambling. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house. Or you know someone who... Who they're just known for their dishonest business dealings. You know, honest Abe down here at the at the car lot. <laughs> oh, honest Bob, not very honest, and everybody knows it. And folks, it catches up with you, doesn't it? People find out, it catches up. You reap what you sow. Your sins will find you out, and pretty soon it's going to trouble your house. You get in trouble with the law, or your family's embarrassed, or what? Trouble. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house. So. Get it, get it right, and then next receive it from the Lord. We're talking about getting it right. You need to see it right, get it right, work for it, work for it honestly, and receive it from the Lord. Chapter 10, chapter 10 and verse 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. It's the blessing of the Lord. When it comes from the Lord's hand, it comes without sorrow. And chapter 22, chapter 22 and verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. We need to recognize it is God who meets our needs. God is our faithful provider. You know, the, seeing it right begins by understanding, first of all, it all belongs to him. The Bible says the whole earth is his and all it contains. And all those things that we call mine really aren't mine. They belong to the Lord. I'm not really an owner, I'm a steward. And everything that has my name on it really belongs to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, if you're a Christian, you are not your own. 
You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you really own nothing except your own sin and guilt. That's all yours. Other than that, everything you have comes from the hand of the Lord or it's been redeemed by the Lord and bought with a price. So all that money in my account with my name on it is really not mine at all. It's the Lord's. And it came from the hand of the Lord. And even when I give to the Lord, I give from the hand of the Lord. That's what it says in the Old Testament. We give to the Lord from his own hand. It all comes from him. That'll help you. When you understand it comes from the Lord, it belongs to the Lord. And one day I'm going to answer to the Lord for what I did with what he entrusted to my care in the meantime. Look what he says. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Now there's more to wealth than just money too. There's relationships and there's peace and there's joy, uh, family and uh, God, God's work in your life. Bottom line is this. You don't have to lie, cheat, steal, and all the rest to get ahead in life. Know the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord, and live for the Lord. And the Lord will meet your needs. He provides. Or as Jesus would say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It comes from the hand of the Lord. That will help you. See it right, get it right. Now, handle it right. So practical. <laughs> Let's just get down to brass tacks. So practical. Applying God's wisdom to this vital area of life in super practical ways. This is 3,000-year-old wisdom. But take a look. It, it, it applies to you and me today. How do we handle our money wisely? Well, you need to monitor it. Monitor it. And chapter 27 Chapter 27 and verse 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. <laughs> know well the condition of your flocks. In other words, you need to know what you have. You need to know where, where do you stand? What money's coming in? Where is it going? You know, time flies, time flies money flies. Where's it going? Where, what's coming in? What do we owe? Where is it going? Know well the condition of your flocks. Where are we going financially? How are we going to get there financially? Don't just fly by the seat of your pants. Have a plan. Monitor it. Know well the condition of your flocks. Monitor it. Then save. Solomon wants us to know we need to save. There needs to be some savings. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 20. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. And we read about the ant that, that works and saves as well and gets ready for the, for the season to come. So there needs to be saving. Now, he's not talking about hoarding. That's another subject altogether. The Bible warns against hoarding. You know, money won't help you on the day of judgment. Money can hurt you on the day of judgment. If you have been hoarding money, that's exhibit A, and your riches will testify against you on judgment day. James tells us that over in the New Testament. But here... We need to have some savings. There's precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. We ought to save for known and anticipated expenses. Again, not hoarding, so I don't have to trust the Lord. That's, a, that's another problem. But save. There are some things that we can expect to come up. Christmas. Christmas is going to be on December 25th this year. I checked the calendar. December, it falls on the 25th. Do you think you might want to buy a present or two for somebody? Like your pastor, for example. I mean, just saying, just throwing it out there. Well, 
Save for that. You know it's coming all year round. Save for that. So you're not paying for it in January, February, March, April, May. Save for Christmas. You want to go on a vacation next summer. Save for that. It's a whole lot more fun to take a vacation that's paid for than to pay for a vacation that's already been taken. Save for those. You think there's a chance your car might break down this year. Oh, yeah. Water heater might go out. Air conditioner probably go out when it gets hot. I mean, it's just anticipated expenses. Things are going to pop up. Have a little bit of money. Not so much that I can hoard it. Now I don't have to trust God. No, remember the only prayer in Proverbs. Lord, don't let me be tempted that way. But save. Save for those anticipated expenses. And then buy wisely. Again, isn't this practical? I mean, my goodness. 3,000-year-old wisdom, and it's right where we live today. In Proverbs 31, well-known passage, who can find an excellent wife, and talks about the virtue of this wise wife, and part of her wisdom, part of her virtue. In Proverbs 31, 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She considers a field and buys it. In other words, spend wisely. Buy wisely. Be, be, be a, a comparison shopper, you know. Spend your money wisely. One of the things that will help you is watch out for impulse shopping. Impulse buys. They'll get you every time. One of the worst things that ever happened was that buy with one click on Amazon. Not helpful to my household. Not, not a good thing. Beware of those impulse purchases. More often than not, if you, if you wait, if you just wait, I'm not going to buy this today. Let's think about it. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. We're going to sleep on it. And nine times out of ten tomorrow, you won't buy it. But now with one click, oh, it's, it'll be here by tomorrow. <laughs> so just be careful. Buy wisely. Buy wisely. And then avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Well, I thought that was just a new thing. No, it's an old thing. Been around forever. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 and verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know, uh, and does not know that want will come upon him. Beware the get-rich-quick scheme. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. A man who is eager to get rich will do dishonest and unwise things. And it will bite him. Beware the get-rich-quick scheme. Many lives have been ruined in the pursuit of the quick buck. Uh, Dave Ramsey would say the, the best way to get rich quick is to get rich slow. <laughs> the, the, beware, get rich quick. Isn't that something? 3,000 years ago, that was a thing. Still a thing, even today. And, by, and the New Testament has warnings about this as well. Here's another practical bit of financial wisdom. Beware of debt. Beware of debt. Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's Slave. Now, is debt wrong? No, the Bible doesn't prohibit debt. Debt is not sinful, but boy, howdy, it's dangerous. Beware of debt. Be careful. Debt is a tool. You are buying time with money, but you're going to pay money. You're going to pay a lot of money 
for the privilege of the time. Think of a mortgage. Most of us can't drop down cash for our house, and so we mortgage it. We're going to pay. We're paying for the opportunity to live in the house while we're paying for it. But you're going to pay a lot more for the house because you mortgage it. You get the idea? So debt is not wrong. It's not sinful. But boy, it's dangerous. It's unwise. Be careful. Beware the white dust of the credit card. 90 days is never the same as cash. Cash is cash. There's no such thing as easy payments. No such thing. Beware, beware of debt. A good rule of thumb is really only go into debt for things that go up in value. That's a good, safe rule. Only go into debt for things that go up in value. What goes up in value? Not much. Dinner at Rafferty's doesn't go up in value, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Vacations don't go up in value. You're really talking about real estate, and not always real estate. So beware. Beware of debt. Can you liquidate assets in order to cover the debt? What if the note got called in? Could you, could you pay your debts? It's dangerous. It always has been. Proverbs 22, don't co-sign. Again, I thought that was a new thing. Nope, it's an old thing. <laughs> Proverbs 22 and verse 26. Proverbs 22, 26. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He'll stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Don't. Cosign. That's what he's saying. Don't be a guarantor for someone else's debt. Debt's dangerous enough when it's your debt. It's super dangerous when it's someone else's debt. And you're the guarantee, the guarantor for someone else's debt. In other words, don't cosign. Why, why would you not want to cosign? Because you'll end up making the note. <laughs> you'll pay it. That's what we know, that, that most cosigners, in most cases, most cosigners end up paying the note. So don't cosign unless you're ready, willing, and able to make the payments because they'll end up taking your bet for someone else's debt. Beware. Be careful of this. The vast majority of cosigners will end up paying the note. And you think, well, now, my son wouldn't do that to me or my friend or my brother. He'd do right by me. Oh, you'll you'll pay the note. (laughs) Be careful. You'll pay the note. You also, here's another reason not to cosign, You may be, depending on the situation, there can be exceptions, but you may be encouraging financial irresponsibility. Well, I'll co-sign it so they'll learn how to handle debt. Actually, you're teaching them not to handle their own debt. And that's probably why you have to co-sign in the first place, because they have been irresponsible. Again, there may be exceptional circumstances, but Solomon says, better watch out. Don't co-sign. Here's another rule. Be generous. Be generous. If we want to handle our money rightly, wisely, be generous. Go to chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 24. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There's one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will himself be watered. In Proverbs 19:17, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said? You, you do it unto the least of these, and you've done it unto me. He who is generous, who gracious to a poor man, lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Proverbs 22, 9, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Again, New Testament's got a lot to say about this. Jesus had a lot to say about this. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, sow bountifully, 
reap bountifully, give and it will be given unto you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Be generous. And then lastly, be a first fruits giver. If you want to be wise with your wealth, be a first fruits giver. And let's end in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth. I mean, that's really the bottom line. It's his money. If you're a Christian, you belong to him. He bought you and paid for you. And your money is really his money. So honor the Lord from your wealth, his money, and from the first of all your produce. That speaks of that Old Testament sacrificial system. Your first best fruits. Your first fruits, your best fruits belong to the Lord. So honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That again, it's a promise that God blesses the giver. You give to the Lord, the Lord's going to give back. That's what he said in Malachi. You bring the tithe into my storehouse and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that you can't contain. You'll never outgive God. Now that's not a promise that if you tithe, give money to that church, give, send money to that TV preacher, you'll never get sick, you'll be a millionaire, you get a new car. No, that's the false prophets on TV promise that. But God does say, you honor me and I'll honor you. You give to me and I'll give back. That's the principle here. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Be a first fruits giver. That brings us into tithing. That's another subject for another day. But honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him your first. Give him your best. Boy, isn't that practical? I mean, that's right where we live, isn't it? I mean, that's where we live, how we live. It speaks to us today. 3,000-year-old wisdom. And, and you could have heard it on Dave Ramsey yesterday. I mean, it's the same information, same wisdom. See it right, get it right, handle it right. But understand that money can buy anything but happiness. It'll take you anywhere but heaven. And it won't buy one moment with God. You must be born again. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Whether he's penniless or wealthy, you must be born again. Have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you received by faith his gift of eternal life? If not, that's your greatest need this morning. Not money. You need Jesus. Not, not wealth, but the forgiveness of sin and the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Jesus Christ died for you and for me on Calvary's cross because we're sinners. Our sins have separated us from God and condemned us to an eternity apart from God. But Christ died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins, he died so we wouldn't have to. He was buried, he was raised again, he's alive today, and he offers you the gift of eternal life. You don't buy it. No amount of money could ever pay for it. You receive it by faith. You turn from your sin, turn from this world, turn from self, turn to Jesus, and you say, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me, save me, and be my Lord. If you've never done that, I invite you to come to him this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand up and sing. I'll be right here. You can come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus. I want to be saved, however you want to say it. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you privately if you'd like to. But you can leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home and Jesus is your Savior. Say yes to Jesus Christ. We invite you to come. Or perhaps you're looking for a church home. If God has brought you here, we'd love to have you. You come forward and say, we, we want to join this church. And we'll take it from there. Or perhaps to follow him in baptism or pray with somebody. We invite you to come. So let's stand together quietly, reverently, prayerfully. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for an opportunity to gather here together and around your word. God, we thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that we don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. 
It is timeless. It speaks right to us where we are, where we live, how we live. God, I pray that we would receive with meekness your engrafted word and that we indeed would be wise with the wealth, with the money, the resources you put in our hands. May we honor you with our wealth. I pray for the one who's never been saved. Help them to see, hear, and know they need Jesus Christ above all else. And the Lord, bring them to the cross even now. Take charge of this time of decision. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.